Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flibanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer. Because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. Are you sure you're not Ainsley Harriet? Who is that accent? <laughs> First black British man I could think of. Uh, I <laughs> am Louis Vertel. I just want to say, this regards a bunch of my close friends and a bunch of acquaintances who came up to me this week and they said, oh, I saw the article in Rolling Stone. And I just want to ask, how your workplace is doing, how you are. Um, and I want to say to them, thank you for your concern. And also, I work for Jimmy Kimmel. I do not work for Jimmy <laughs> Fallon. I live in Los Angeles. It is not 2008. You cannot be getting these two people mixed up. Um, yes. A lot of interesting Listen. stuff going on in the talk show universe this week. And as an, a, a striking uh, talk show employee, it's been it's given me at least something to think about. You know, I thought that you worked at Jimmy John. <laughs> Number four, Turkey Tom. Honey, I went to a state school. That is what we ate. <laughs> Whenever Lewis has to get to work, I'm like, okay, like the sandwiches aren't that hard. <laughs> <laughs> that bread. The bread at Jimmy John's is some, that's like a mystical material. It's like both bread it and is, it's also Nerf. Yeah, it is. It tastes so fucking good. Like yeah. I feel like the the Jimmy John bread is the whole allure of it i'm a big purveyor of sandwich shops as you know i'm a subway fan and also for people from the milwaukee area i don't think they have this in illinois cousins i've heard of it we don't have that no pot belly is a big thing in chicago yeah mm -hmm. yeah pot bellies but cousins was cousins was that girl also i think i want to call more people cousin and in, in a derogatory <laughs> way what did you just say cousin <laughs> <laughs> you know what uh, my friend Andy got me hooked on? Uh, and of course, he's stolen this from Twitter, but it's so funny. Calling people beloved. What did you say, beloved? <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's such a very black thing. I know. Oh, gay white men riffing on black lingo. You've heard it before. It's been done before. <laughs> I love a very good beloved. Yeah. It's so... It, it, it's bitch without bitch. And also, you know? it's also dumbass. You know? Yes. Okay. Also, 
Beloved, did you even read? Beloved? <laughs> yeah. Me as an English teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. It's so damning to be called beloved. Like, oh, I'm stupid. <laughs> well, speaking of talk shows. Yes. Our girl, Drew. Oh, my God. Cameron D and Destiny. Uh, I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. So, Drew Barrymore who we love. Like Please. She is, a, she is a chic celebrity. She, well, I don't know how chic she is. That, that, was, that, that, was, that was a poor adjective. We, I, we love her. Yeah. She's very funny. Genuine. She's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, she Almost she despite does. herself, she's so genuine. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. But now she has decided to put her show back on the air while... We are striking, so I guess she is employing scabs to make her show. Her show, which is very sweet, but, and, you know, I assume people are watching it. I watch it sometimes, too, but it's mostly her dressing up in weird costumes or talking to Ross Matthews and Danny Pellegrino. So (laughs) I don't know that it is essential that the show be back on the air right now. And it's very weird because, well, the MTV Movie Awards are airing tonight. They'll have aired when this episode comes out. Thank God we don't have to talk about that shit this year. Uh, (laughs) She pulled out of the show because of the strike. But now she's back doing her show. And she... (sighs) The fact that she is giving us this notes app style apology for how she is bringing the show back and she wants to support people and the writers, et cetera. How about you support the writers by not being on strike? How about you not hire scabs? How about you go do what would be the easiest thing for a rich woman to do? Go be rich. And also, I mean, if you're concerned about the crew being paid money, like then maybe just pay them out of your pocket instead of doing yeah. this thing. I mean, a, a friend of mine said it best. She is, she, and, and she did release a notes app style, not apology, but explanation for what she's doing. First of all, that was very shocking to read because it clearly didn't go through any other people. Uh, the grammar, <laughs> the grammar, and the flow of it was like concerning. Like I, it made you, th- it made me almost feel bad for her because it's clear. Not that many people are on her side, even in her camp, seemingly. But mm-hmm. um, I think what's important is she clearly is missing the vibe of the whole strike. You know, this is an industry that is currently taking advantage of specifically writers, but actors too. And we need to solve how we're all going to deal with this moving forward for forever if this industry is going to survive. And so to put on this show... And to pretend you're doing it out of, I don't know, care for people is just missing the point. You know, we're, we're, we're caring for people right now doing, doing the strike. Yeah, it seems so short-sighted, and I don't understand the impetus to do it now. I could presuppose that CBS issued some sort of edict of, we're going to cancel this shit. That's, uh, something that's that they my wouldn't guess. do to Colbert. That's my guess, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, baby... Isn't it better to have that happen to the show and then say, hey, this is what CBS did. They suck. Right. And by the way, I'm equally baffled by Jeopardy right now, which has new episodes. And the party line over there is we're using old material that the writers have written. The episode I watched last night, which was new, 
had questions about the Barbie movie. So it's like that was mm. written recently. It's very confusing. Yeah. I don't know what's going on over there. Also, if you're using old clues from Jeopardy, does that mean the writers of those old clues get paid? Right. I would assume. Yeah, right. You know, most of them are probably dead. Yeah. <laughs> but it should go to their estate right. shortly. <laughs> They're in the Culver City Cemetery right next door, yes. <laughs> you pass by them on your daily cemetery walks. Yes. <laughs> I like how this is becoming my legacy. Do you go to that one? Uh, no, 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 no. I only go to Forest Lawn. Honey, I, there need to be A-listers. Um, I will occasionally. <laughs> no, you know what's crazy is, you know where you can see where Marilyn Monroe's grave? You just drive right down Wilshire Boulevard, take a left. There's this graveyard right there, and she's there. It's bizarre. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, Kim Kardashian is parked outside with a shovel. <laughs> yes, right. Ana de Armas has <laughs> got the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what Homegirl is doing. Good memes, though. Lots of good, lots of good scream material on Twitter regarding Drew Barrymore. Yes, yes. You know, uh, I got off a scream joke. Someone had a sign with it said, uh, "Riding in cars with scabs." <laughs> <laughs> boys on the side ethics on the side how about that also do you know what is particularly tragic by the way you know who in old hollywood was a huge supporter of striking unions that would be her great aunt ethel barrymore mm. oscar winner ethel barrymore mm. along with her friend marie dressler another legend was a strong supporter of the actors equity association and had a high profile role in the 1919 strike i'm reading this from wikipedia which is i'm sure incredibly researched during the strike mm. ethel and lionel barrymore starred in a benefit show staged by aea at the lexington avenue opera house aea came uh, into being primarily to allow performers to have a bigger share in the profits of stage productions and to uh, provide benefit to elderly or infirm actors uh, her support for the strike angered many producers and cost Barrymore her friendship with George M. Cohan, an actor, so songwriter, and producer. Well, George M. Cohan has a new ally in Drew Barrymore. He won it out eventually. <laughs> Listen, I think the solution for Drew is to remember that your show is not a first responder. That's true. So maybe go just chill out. Be on vacation. Go to the grocery store. Uh, buy some McCain's. Put them <laughs> in your oven and eat some home fries. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> home fries. Good reference. Yes. <laughs> the wedding scabber. I wish I had more dynamite puns on me at the moment. I don't. And it's a shame because mostly she's never been dissed. But now it's all happening. <laughs> <laughs> Never been dissed. <laughs> All right. So I'm exhausted. Sorry, I didn't contribute. Go ahead. Well, you know, the, to fill in our listeners on why I was using a British accent earlier uh, in this episode, it's because our guest this week is the one and only Graham Norton. Whom I, I tell him this at the end of the interview, but just one of the definitive interviewers of our time when you tune into graham norton you are guaranteed to have it's it's guaranteed to be fabulous the celebrities are guaranteed to be having the most fun they'll ever have on tv i've always admired him he's so funny anyway he's so the ideal mm -hmm. like a, a celebrity and a celebrity celebrity even gays with no sense no cultural sense no thoughts in their tiny little brains <laughs> they watch graham norton interviews i've been at many afters where someone will just 
throw on a Graham Norton segment. And it's it's great. It's soothing. I love seeing those. I love when a celebrity, an American one, is interacting with a British celebrity too. It's just so... It's fun. It yes. feels like the best dinner party. Uh, no, uh, I, the Ocean's 8 press tour when you would have like both Kate Blanchett and Rihanna on his couch. This is what television mm-hmm. is about. Come on. We need to link them back up again. I know there's not going to be a sequel, but Kate Blanchett and Rihanna, I need them in I need them in something else. Right. Okay. I need them like, in peril on the silver screen. Yes. <laughs> can can Kate Blanchett be the Morgan Freeman to Rihanna's Ashley Judd? So some so that type of movie, a mystery. Mm, that would be fun. Also, Ashley Judd. I know she was she had a brief cameo in that movie. She said, "When's that return? I'm ready." Yeah, I'm ready for that. Or that's also making me think of the Bone Collector, which Denzel and Angelina. And also, I want to say. You know that Angelina Jolie is my favorite actress. Yes. I have a comment on Angelina Jolie in a second. Don't let, don't let me mm. forget. Go ahead. It was interesting. There was a tweet going around about who, what your favorite performances of all time, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously it's hard to pare that down to four, you know, and we talked about some of our favorite Oscar winning performances on the show before, but I think just off the top of my head immediately, I was like, you know, Angela Bassett in What's Love Got to Do With It, Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs, Penelope Cruz in Volver, Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. Those are four iconic performances to me. And what's interesting is, yes, there's Girl Interrupted. Yes, there's Gia. I'm back and forth on the Changeling. Uh, and, of course, you know, I love Salt. And I think she's great in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's so interesting that Angelina Jolie obviously is an amazing actress because when she delivers, she is fucking delivering. Like, she makes Gone in 60 seconds, right? But I feel like because of her outsized celebrity and then also her humanitarian work and raising the kids, et cetera, there are so few definitive, iconic Angelina Jolie films. Right. And and, and there's lots of weird misses in between, too. Like, obviously, there's like the... Troy Universe and Beowulf and stuff. Pushing 10 is a good movie. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Um, I should rewatch it. What's interesting is I was also thinking about um, how when Charlize Theron emerged in the late 90s, she and Angelina basically were like kind of competing for the same roles and were even in a way mm-hmm. spitting images of each other. I watched the mm-hmm. Get Ready Woody Allen movie Celebrity in which she gives a hilarious performance. It's one of those movies where there's just 10,000 actors in them, you know, a big ensemble movie where everyone gets a little moment. Judy Davis gets broken up with for the 50th time anyway. But I was thinking... Girl Interrupted, which, and we've discussed this before, how Angelina never took a role like that again, really makes way more sense as a Charlize Theron role. I wouldn't be surprised mm. if she auditioned for it and was like the runner-up to get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they both also have franchises like Atomic Blonde and Salt, which were sort of around the same time-ish, but never really got off the ground and could have potentially been interesting franchises. You know? Yes, right. No, they they straddle that line of like, I'm an action hero, but I have emotional grit, so I can do smaller indie movies too if I wanted to. Yeah, but I would love to see Angelina in a good melodrama, a good like, honestly, you know who I blame for it? You, you, you've seen this interview, of course. Not interview. You you remember the red carpet moment where Angelina Jolie finds Almodovar 
on the red carpet. Yes. And she's like, please cast me in a movie. Please cast me in a movie. And he's like, we'll talk. Like, I only do Spanish movies, girl. Uh, <laughs> and now, you know, you know, he's branching out. So yeah. make Angelina her movie, Pedro. Yeah, that does feel exactly right, too. Also, I love Angelina Jolie just begging Pedro Almodovar. Yeah. Right. Come because- on, fags. <laughs> I mean, obviously, she has great chemistry with um, one of his favorite leading men, Antonio Banderas. They are so hot in Original Sin. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, certainly. Certainly. So I need a Jolie Sance. Yeah. And also good candidate for like a follow-up Oscar at some point for like a lead performance. You know, she got mm-hmm. the Ingenue Oscar. Now let's get the Grand Dame Oscar. You know, a little bit of a Zellweger situation. Yes. Yeah. But hopefully not a Colt Mountain. Oof, that is a tough one for me. Also, Jude Law, really good in that, though. I do like Jude Law and uh, Cold Mountain. Oh. Anyway, speaking of actors that we enjoy, the first thing we we're going to talk about this week is what the fuck is going on with this Twitter account, Club Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet is a fine actor that I enjoy. The mania surrounding <laughs> him is disconcerting, and we just have to see it all the time if we're going to be on the internet, and I'm not leaving that anytime soon. <laughs> also, Olivia Rodrigo's sophomore album, Guts, is out. And shockingly, it is not about the Nickelodeon competition show. Oh, I have a piece of the aggro crag right here, and I was going to whip it out for you. <laughs> it stays here now. <laughs> we will be right back with more Keep It. Healthcare is a human right. I disagree. Go ahead. (laughs) And that means the only pills people should be paying for are the kind with little happy faces on them. Only fun drugs should cost money. T-shirts and stickers are available now at the Crooked Store to help you spread the word. Call me crazy, but I think getting a life-saving medication should not be more expensive than a fun night where you mistake the rug for a giant cat. Mm. Head to crooked.com slash store to get your new favorite tea and a sticker to cover the health insurance logo on that free water bottle. Because remember, only fun drugs should cost money. And yes, I am talking about fun drugs to the woman who sent me an Instagram DM and said, please don't do mushrooms, Ira. And what did you respond back? I'm high right now. (laughs) I thought it was a cat. So last week, I did some boots on the ground reporting, obviously, about Timothy Chalamet. What was that, Christiana? I'm poor. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Ira Madison III, right here at the Renaissance World Tour at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Timothy Chalamet spotted with his paramour, Kylie Jenner. (laughs) What's going on with them? Let's go inside for a closer look. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. I wish Graham were here to see that. (laughs) So they made their public, public debut uh, at Beyonce. And now they've also been spotted at the U.S. Open together. Uh, So they're officially a couple now. And the internet has lost its goddamn mind about this relationship. There is... So much going on with the idea of do these two people belong together, which, okay. And then there's also this online account called 
Club Chalamet, a Twitter and Instagram account, which is run by a 57-year-old black woman. But all clubs should be. I want to say this is generally good <laughs> that, news. That is, true, true. Okay, true. Uh, let me tell you something, Lewis. This is not catch one. The, <laughs> the, the gay bar in Los Angeles, which was famous, famously run by black woman. This you're, is certainly not that. You're, you're telling me I'm not going to see Thelma Houston performing at uh, Club Chalamet. Okay. <laughs> you might see your run of the other way. <laughs> Down Olympic, yeah. I need to reiterate that a 57-year-old black woman is running this account, and she has lost her damn mind, as I said, along with the rest of the internet, because she is spiraling from this Timothy and Kylie relationship. Let me read some of the things that she has written. Okay. So we know Timothy was smoking in the stadium. Yes, very unsafe. We talked about that last week. Smoking relieves stress. We have never seen Timothy smoke, but most of us were aware that he smokes. That's very telling. He was tolerating a famous stalker who made this happen after months of public stalking. Yes, Timothy Chalamet is being stalked by Kylie Jenner. Wow. I mean, I love the theory and also (laughs) the idea that he is dealing with it openly by smoking so that we see it. The theater of... Nicotine addiction as uh, to deal with the woman he is currently spending time with, even though she's basically holding him hostage, according to this tweet. <laughs> if you're feeling distressed by the video, it's okay. Wow. But please take care of yourself. Step away from social media for a couple days. Don't attack or criticize Timothy. Too much money and time went into publicly harassing him, and it finally paid off for those people. Did this person just tell somebody else to take time away from social media? (laughs) Club Chalamet, heal thyself. (laughs) They certainly did not when she had a Twitter spaces. Yeah. Oh, no. Where she talked for over 52 minutes. Help me. Insinuating that Timothy was being blackmailed by a shadowy entity into being seen publicly with Kylie. And gave the iconic quote. We've never even seen them go to the Olive Garden. He loves Italian food. I mean, why not just go to Olive Garden? Uh, First of all, incredible question. That just should be asked to anybody at any time. You're at a bus stop right now. Why are you not at the Olive Garden? (laughs) Come on. Don't go to Panera. (laughs) Okay, is this woman in jail yet? Because I'm seeing jail for her and I'm loving it. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's giving shades of Selena, as you yeah. said earlier. Uh, Yolanda said LeVar, yes, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, like, we need to make sure that she does not have um, a weapon permit. I just have a question, like, okay, so we all like Timothy Chalamet, really good actor. What was the moment where it became, <sighs> like, the, 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 the absolute center of her universe? Like, what is it about him that makes him important in this way? Because I have to say, like, whenever... I see like a candid Timothy moment or even when he was on SNL and like a little too excited to be friends with Pete Davidson. I realized, mm. oh, this is like a traditional straight guy in in many yeah. ways. Like he's kind of bro-y energy, you know, in, in a way that is not reflected in his roles on the silver screen. Like he's a good actor. He does not seem this way in many of his roles. But when I see the person he is in reality, it's sort of like, all right, average-ish guy. It's like when you see Leonardo DiCaprio dancing at Coachella, you're like, okay, so we're not friends. Right. It honestly, it feels a bit like, you know, I'm wearing a Charlie Pooh sweater, right? Yes. And having having met and profiled him and, 
just seeing how the people talk about him on the internet with the whole gay baiting thing. And then now he's engaged to a woman that he's been dating, publicly dating. By the way, people are still discussing that. And it's meeting him, talking to him. He is just a straight dude. Yeah. No, there's no mystique and, to heterosexuality. I'm sorry. They, they yeah, live a particular and, way, and I've seen it a thousand times. I've got news for you. My father is straight. So I've grown up seeing this behavior. <laughs> but there's something about a male celebrity who is sort of younger and not explicitly overly, hyperly masculine that throws the internet into a tizzy. Sure. And What's they create all these sort of fantasies about what this person is doing in their life, you know? It reminds you of, you know, like the Robert Pattinson heyday. Or, um, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, the other guy, too. Uh, Taylor Lautner, you know. Yeah. There's a softness they, to them. So maybe that's vulnerability. Maybe I have an in there. People are creepy. They drove, they drove my man Robert crazy. Yes, they definitely did. We have forgotten about it now that uh, Krista Stewart is very much in her... Um, lesbian era yes that woman by the way is mother we fucking love Kristen stewart here generally just a cool bitch yeah yes yes that is a cool celebrity you know and i feel like we've forgotten about how people used to trash her after the whole you know affair with that director post you know they were dogging her the way that people are attacking kylie and kylie hasn't even done anything but date this man. Also, Kristen Stewart in, in the position of being in a franchise that, I mean, sucked and sometimes blamed for it. And then since then, she's made only really tasteful choices, basically. You know, outside yeah. of that Charlie's Angels movie, which, you know, I'll never forget, um, even though I've been advised to What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, no. There's only, there's only two Charlie's Angels movies. Right, yeah, yeah. Lucy Liu, right. We talked about it earlier. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah exactly. That's it. Uh, weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's weird, interesting about Timothy Chalamet to me is I'm, I'm into the aesthetic, not into the whole wayfish, twinky, I want to date him, obsessed with him aesthetic. I think he's generally pretty fashionable for like a totally. regular. Has celebrity. fun with it. I, yeah. Right. I follow an Instagram account called Ready Timmy Wear. No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and they put the outfits that he's seen wearing in public on the Instagram account and where you can buy them. So uh, the prices for them. There's something about him. And when he picks the, you know, I'm not going to say androgynous clothing, but, you know, fashionable stranger mm-hmm. choices that feels way more credible than to me than when someone like Harry Styles does it. I can't explain it. Right. It's like. It's not like I think he's like way more brilliant than Harry Styles. There's just something about the look that that world that is like fitting to him in a way. You know, it's, I don't question it. It's like it's like I'm. This is the name that's coming to mind when Lupita Nyong'o just wanders into pop culture wearing the most glamorous shit of all time. I'm like, correct. Mm-hmm. That 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 works. Some people fashion just agrees with who they are, and he's one of those people. I think it's also this effortlessness that comes with just him being a New Yorker. Yeah, you know, he's just walking around in these clothes and but it's it's just sort of his general sense his aesthetic he's not really putting on a whole it's with the weird times we, the few times we've seen him be dressy dressy or trying to make a statement like when he looked like the um 
when he looked like that Candyland villain oh, uh, yes. on the red carpet. That was a famous tweet Moments of mine. like that. Yes. yes. I said he looked like Lord Licorice in Greta Gerwig's <laughs> Candyland. Yes. <laughs> but those are the only moments we see that from him. So, I don't know. This interest in him, I feel like it has to stem from Call Me By Your Name. I feel like yeah. something about seeing him in this romantic relationship that is sort of um, that's fraught and unfolds over the course of the film had to have been some sort of turn on for older women like Club Chalamet. Yes. Well, because that's a movie about pining, which is what losers yes. on the internet do. And then secondly, mm. at the end of that movie, he <laughs> is just <laughs> weeping for 10 minutes. And I feel like that appeals to a certain demographic too. You know, like I too yes. am weeping alone. I too am looking into the fire um, and thinking about my romantic past. People are tweeting about when the last time they cried was. Yes. Oh my God. Now you've put your finger on it. If, if people have an emotional moment nowadays and they have any internet presence, they're like, I can monetize this. I can turn this into, you know, a show and brag that I effing cried during the last episode of Heartstopper. How about bragging you didn't cry and you held it together like an adult? How about that? <laughs> I was at my mom's funeral. Didn't shut a fucking tear, bro. Slay, bitch. She went down hard. <laughs> yeah. What's very funny is looking at videos of this woman. Oh, and, and there are videos of this see, woman. The, yes, and interactions. She has a selfie with Timothy from one it's event. But there's also, an, there's also an event where he's going to hug fans and he skips over her. No. Oh, my God. Yes. It's so scary to be a celebrity. Oh, it's so scary. It is. People are just lingering like she, everywhere. She's the stalker. Wasn't there that story recently with... um? Drew Barrymore was on stage and then Renee Rapp protected her from some fan or something. It's so creepy. Yeah. So I don't know. We gotta we gotta wait for um Biden to be out of office though, because if she's gonna be shooting a US president. <laughs> yeah, right. So this wait is a me. Jody Foster situation. Yeah. <laughs> she couldn't have done this. 2016 to 2020. <laughs> I like how I like how I like how we're sure this is what she's up to. By the way, <laughs> we don't know. It's it, that's. I feel like that's what adds to the creepiness about it. There's part of it that's funny, and then there's part of it right, that exactly. seems like it won't be funny if she actually tries to kill him or Kylie Jenner. I don't mean to say that this is particular to this woman. By the way, it's just like that's the whole thing mm. with internet culture. If there's even some realm of attention paid to a certain kind of person who's obsessed with something. It's a little bit like how for Britney fans, it really like panned out for them that they turned out to be right about a lot of things that were happening to her. But, you know, mm. a lot of the time that would be considered invasive or they would just be straight up wrong or uninformed yeah. or missing a big part of the story. Yeah. The wilder part of the story, of course, is just the fact that this woman is looking for attention because yesterday she tweeted, once a New Yorker, always a New Yorker. In July 2001, I turned down a job opportunity that was located on the 102nd floor of the World Trade Center. Although the money was exceptional, the job was going to steer me in a financial direction that I didn't want. Also, my 
gut instinct was on high alert to the point that I felt something was terribly wrong about Excuse this opportunity. Me. Excuse me. I, I declined the job, and I've never done that in my life before or after. Always trust your gut. Is the universe trying to tell you something? Hashtag 9-11, never forget. Hashtag NYC. And a photo of the two towers. Bitch! Never forget? You mean always predict? Because you predicted 9-11? <laughs> in July, by the way. <laughs> She's like, something's lingering. I don't know what it is. I can't be on that building <laughs> that's so raven moment about <laughs> oh, don't go in those towers <laughs> oh my god touching your forehead and pretending to have a premonition is like one of my favorite funny things <laughs> what an insane tweet <laughs> which is very funny because so many new yorkers have a story about how oh my god i almost died on 9-11 if or i was whatever, supposed to be yeah. there you know, but that truly takes the fucking cake. That, I mean, to bring up Robert Pattinson again, it's bringing up that movie where it ends up at September 11th. Remember I'm me? Like, what? Remember yes. me? Yes. They show his grave at the end, but we don't see the dead body. Okay. I need, remember <laughs> me. I need, did you remember me? And he, he, he's alive. And who they thought was his dead body was another dead body. And then that launches a mystery into figuring out who that person is. Is it possible you watch too many soaps? Um, I'm concerned. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's a fancifulness to your thinking right now that I'm going to call derangement. Just call me Mickey Mouse, baby, because I'm fun and fancy free. <laughs> oh, my God. I was recently <laughs> fantasizing about um, hosting a, a, a fitness class just for the hell of it. And I want to have funny lines lined up. And here's one I thought of. Are you ready? Um, I'm Shit's Creek, baby. I'm your dad and I'm watching you. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> more to come this is my next line of work if this strike goes on any longer let me tell you something i also watched a clip of you in a youtube competition series oh i was the on experts a, i posted this 10 years ago I was on a, this awesome youtube game show called the experts where they uh, quiz you on a specialty subject and you're up against other people and their specialty subjects i I uh, was talking about Madonna. Can you believe it? And uh, I was up against somebody who knew about Batman from the comics. And then mm. uh, our friend Hiko, who was a big Melrose Place expert. I think his questions were maybe a degree harder than mine. Like he, but I, anyway, mm. I still won. Yeah, because some of those, some, I feel like I knew 90% of the Madonna ones. Yeah, they, they were pretty Just basic, as, generally speaking. Yeah. yeah. But some of those Melrose ones, I was like, I was digging into my brain. So I did know one of them that he didn't know, but he knew a couple of other ones that I didn't know. So that was weird. I would say the Batman one, that was, that was hard as hell because yeah. you're a fan of Batman comics. Okay. There've been over a hundred years of Batman comics. So that's a lot of shit. Right. That said, he chose his own specialty to topic. So in my opinion, he dug oh, his that's own grave. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh my god, lastly about 9-11. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, back to back to why we do this podcast. 9-11. My, <laughs> my favorite segue. Uh what is the connection between Tommy Vitor and 9-11 Madonna? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the only I almost lived, sorry, the only I almost died in 9-11 story that I care about is this was going around on Twitter. I, I know exactly what the, you're going to bring up. The, the interview with this man and his wife where he was worried that his wife had died in the towers on 9-11, but 
she was not at work when the planes hit because she did not go into work that morning because she was going to buy Mariah Carey's Glitter album. Uh, And (laughs) that is the power of that album. Okay, Mariah Carey saves lives. When a hero comes along. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to bring up how some woman wasn't in the towers because she almost ran into Gwyneth Paltrow on the street. No, I didn't Uh, see that one. Talk about heroes. Gwyneth and Mariah. (laughs) The front lines. We need a vantage point style movie about... 10 different people and the weird celebrity encounters they had on 9-11 that prevented them from dying. Right. But no, precisely. I would be right there. By the way, talented Mr. Ripley was on TV last week. Man, we really like put Gwyneth in the Hitchcock glamour in that movie. The breakdown scene at the end when she's having the final confrontation with uh, uh, Tom. Fabulous. Also, Gwyneth Paltrow, come on, keep it. We are nice gay men. Just talk to us. (laughs) And I love goop. I have that some of that botanical shit. I want skin that's pearly too. <laughs> I want skin that's pearly coming back to off Broadway this fall. <laughs> pearly burly. It's Pearly Victoria starring Leslie Odom Jr. <laughs> What's he up to? Starring in Pearly Victoria. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Oscar nominee twice. What do you do a Broadway show, Lewis? That is all you're doing. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, eight shows a week. Is Sean Hayes? No, I think Sean Hayes just finished up over there. He was he was doing that accent, like, up, down, and back, the Oscar Levant thing. Yeah. Anyway, Club Chalamet, is there a cover to get in? <laughs> maybe there should be a cover to get in, and then maybe all the um, insane thoughts can't get in. Right. She, she, yes. she, she, we need a bouncer at Club Chalamet <laughs> to protect her sanity. <laughs> and maybe ours and our well-being. <laughs> when we're back, we are joined by Graham Norton. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like 
basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Addie. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill for me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flibanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at addyi.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at addy.com slash pi. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. So it's impossible for you not to know our guest today. He's our favorite host, presenter, comedian, Eurovision commentator, you name it. He's also an accomplished novelist who is back with his next great novel, Forever Home. Please welcome to Keep It, the legendary Graham Norton. Hello, everybody. Hi, guys. And also you're clutching, I'm going to assume, tea right now, and I feel like we're in a a sort of Cabot Cove mystery clutch together, like (laughs) bundled up together. (laughs) <laughs> Sadly, it's coffee. It's oh. coffee. I'm so sorry. Oh. It's coffee. And also, oh. and also, I, I'm in New York. I don't know if you know. If you, if you think this is exciting and you're talking to me in some little, <laughs> uh, little cottage in Ireland, no. <laughs> and, and, and the two things I should warn you about before we we get going is one. Helpfully, they're uh, knocking a building down next door, so mm. you might hear mm. that. And also, my husband's out. If he gets back, uh, the dog will go nuts. So you'll oh. hear that. Okay, so those, so long as it's motivated. I feel like sounds, if they're motivated, it's fine. It's fine. So I live in New York, so they are constantly hearing the, the sounds of the streets. They're hearing a Scorsese film outside every day. So uh, A light murder uh, or two. Yeah, it should be cute. <laughs> I want to ask about, you know, this is your fourth 
novel. And it's so interesting to me that you are into writing, I guess, mysteries, cozy-esque mysteries. And we would assume that, you know, someone of your comedic background would write the traditional book of essays or something. Is that something that doesn't appeal to you? What What is it about mysteries that really has hooked you and you love writing them? Um, I mean, cozy crime is kind of my jam. I like reading mm. them. Uh, I, so, you know, writing one seemed a, a natural uh, next step. I will say I am totally aware, as someone who interviews people, talking about novels is so hard. It's just miserable. Um, <laughs> memoirs, memoirs, easy. You just flick a page, tell me that story. Uh, novels are just like, oh, come on. Who who listening to this is actually going to read a novel? Uh, so <laughs> I slay. Now we say it. Yeah. I do, I do, I do feel for you. Like, and I was thinking, you know, as an older gay to some younger gays, like back in my day, uh, you the, the the books that we'd be drawn to, we would read Armistead Maupin mm-hmm. and Tales mm. of the City. Is there anything for the young gays now? Are they just all watching Heartstopper? Is that is that where it ends? <laughs> wow, uh, we are. We're, yeah, we all reading something occasionally. Like I remember, we all did "Call Me by Your Name" a couple years ago. Like there was that a little life thing. Yes, uh-huh. yeah. Everyone in New York has been reading, and in LA too. I feel oh. like everyone's been reading the new Brett Easton Ellis. Oh book, right, the, the shards. shards. Yes, uh-huh. so he's still around. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll give that a whirl. I haven't, I haven't read that. Yeah, okay. It's yeah. long, but okay. it's good. Okay, you can. Uh, long is fine if it's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you just talked about how it's talk. It's hard to talk about a novel when you're interviewing somebody. But I think one of my favorite things about you is, and I know that on talk shows, a lot of prep goes into an interview, and you know what you're going to talk about ahead of time and stuff. But you have such an amazing ability to build instant rapport with literally anybody. It could be a really young star or it can be like Judy Dench on her like 900th go around on these fucking things being like, please entertain me even a little bit. And has that always been a gift you've had something where, you know, where you just kind of know you can get people on your side by talking to them? Well, I, I think maybe it's a slightly, it is a kind of a gay thing, isn't it? Totally. It's the, it's the one, it's the wanting to be liked gene is quite strong. And it's the wanting not to be hit gene is quite strong. <laughs> uh, so it, it's finding, it's, it's, it's finding that kind of nuanced way through any social situation and trying to read the other person. You know, I think there's a kind of a, there's a, a straight alpha male thing where they don't read situations. They are the situation. I'm here now. And and I think as gay men, we have to navigate the world in a slightly, in a slightly more careful way. Like, who mm-hmm. is this person? What will their attitude to me be like? You know, are they what's 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 our status to each other? All that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I don't think about that when I'm doing the show, but I imagine some of that has informed having the role of of chat show host are there people you are particularly proud to have won over in conversation that maybe seemed you know stoic and unreachable at first um yeah there are i mean there are those kind of like old hollywood uh stars who you kind of think mm, here we go uh like lauren bacall uh oh back my in the God. day she, yeah mm. she, she she was on and uh, she was not happy. She was quite grumpy, and uh, I remember the person. Do, the person she was wearing like real pearls, 
And I didn't know, did you know this? That you're not supposed to touch real pearls with your fingers. You're supposed to wear gloves and then put them on because apparently the oil's in your skin or something. So someone was doing her makeup and, uh, and, you know, the hand brushed pearls because face there, pearls here. It's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, she, she went, don't touch the pearls. And then whatever, <laughs> what, whatever question you asked her about her life, she just went, read the book. <laughs> and uh, it was like, oh, so, <laughs> so it was quite hard, quite, quite a tricky interview. But then what was amazing, and I, I just think this is so, so extraordinary. The next time she came on, she was like a different person. And what had happened was she'd got a dog. And she was high, <laughs> high as a kite on dog love. She loved that thing so much. And it was, it was like night and day, the, the person. So to go back, I, I'm sort of backing because I didn't do anything to win her over. Uh, just a dog. <laughs> a dog unlocked the charm. So I guess that maybe that's why someone put a basket of puppies in Mariah Carey's dressing room. We don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, my friend is a huge Barbara Streisand fan and he went to the premiere of the mirror has two faces and happened to walk past Lauren Bacall and he goes to her and he shouldn't have done this. He walks past her and he goes, I don't mean to interrupt. And she goes, then don't. She's like, she had been, <laughs> she had been here before. Yeah. <laughs> she is hair raising. When you, when you lose that Oscar to Juliette Binoche and you were waiting to get it, I don't know. Maybe that changes the brain a little bit. Yeah. It's like she's she's Madonna before Madonna. She, yes, she's, right. Yeah. <laughs> Times Betty Davis. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Lewis's question actually made me think of, you know, one of my favorite people that you do interview, one of my favorite actors, Tom Cruise. And I would say that I feel like your first interview with him, you know, he had been sort of, I guess, you know, burned by American interviews post the Oprah thing. But I feel like watching in succession your interviews with Tom. You can see in that first one how comfortable you sort of make him. Because, you know, he's, I love that bit where, you know, he's, you ask, what uh, one liners of yours do people uh, bring up to you often? And he's like, oh, yeah, they bring them up. You know, they bring all of them up. And you're like, I'm trying to get you to say one, do one. And then he does it. And then he has fun doing it. And then each time he's come back, it's like he's more comfortable you know, talking to people. Um, and it was so intriguing, too, seeing him with Jude Law because, you know, Jude Law starts talking about how he was um, had to breathe underwater doing, like, the, the young pope. And, like, that clicked him on. Like, hearing someone else do a feat of human ability uh, to be an actor. Yeah, he loves he loves that stuff. I, I, he has sort of become a friend of the show. And in fact, he did a, a really nice thing. Um, I think it was kind of uh, during COVID. Um, mm. I think his set had been shut down, and he just came on our show for kind of no reason, just to say mm. the world is still the world, and you know there will be movies again, and TV shows are happening, and and it was a really, you know, it was a great boost for us because you know during COVID it was really hard doing the show. Sometimes we'd no audience. Sometimes the guests were all on Zoom. Sometimes they were on weird chairs with like eight <laughs> feet between them. It it was <laughs> miserable, um, and so it was such a kind of kind, lovely thing for him to do. And also, I, I guess it was a, a reminder to everybody that that movies would. Come come back um but he i mean i never get past i mean i'm glad he looks more relaxed because i never get past the fact that it's tom cruise uh, in, a, in a way that 
that is really unusual. You know, we I've had lots of kind of those big stars on, and he's about the only one where it, it doesn't just become a man in a suit. Whereas, you know, they stay funny and charming and talented and handsome and all those things, but they do eventually, you know, after a few minutes, just become some man sitting and then you're just talking to them. Whereas he somehow retains that kind of mystique of being being Tom Cruise. And he does a great thing. I've told this before, but I'll tell it again. Uh, he does an amazing thing. And so on the way in, he gets out of his car and uh, the uh, the line producer goes up and goes, hi, I'm Catherine. Uh, so glad you're back on the show. So glad you're doing the show. Uh, this is so-and-so who's going to be the, you know, the floor manager who'll get you on the set. Uh, this is Pete who did the research for your interview. Uh, this is so-and-so who's going to help with your styling if you need anything. And da, da, da. Right, fine. Two hours later, when he's leaving the studio, he's going... Oh, thank you so much, Lindsay. Bye-bye. Oh, Pete, thank you very much. Uh, Linda, thank you very much. Oh, where's Catherine? Where's Catherine? And so, so everyone who works on my show adores Tom Cruise. I, mean, <laughs> I don't I don't know their names, but Tom Cruise does. <laughs> and it's it's you know, it's a trick, it but I haven't bothered to learn it. I don't know if you guys have, you know, and it it makes people love him and and i think you know and and there's so much kind of negativity i think in the world about tom cruise and there's so many weird articles and this and that and da, 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 da. but if you talk to anyone who's worked with him they all love him they all only have good things to say now i, I you know that's all i'm saying i'm not i'm not mm. entering into that world any further but all <laughs> i will say is the evidence of people who kind of work with him it seems to me that he's he's an okay person. But also, I think mm. that speaks to what you're saying about how you can never just think he's a normal guy because there is this X factor of how can you be such an amazing politician in one regard and then there's this like strange mystique about you in the outside world connected to these, you know, like Scientology, et cetera, whatever. And it doesn't cohere. He only adds to his own mystery is what's happening. Yes, and also to enjoy life so much, but to have a clear death wish. That seems to be right. <laughs> and to die in front of us. Yeah, I'm happy to die if people are watching. <laughs> Is the camera rolling? Uh, I guess we should talk about Drag Race. And my main question about that is... Oh, yeah. You know, as much as you're judging people for basically doing a good job, or, you know, it's like any talent competition in some regard, it feels like drag is constantly being updated. There's a lot to learn at any given stage about what, like, you know... Um, is outdated or what is, you know, what's the new thing coming up? Do you feel like you have to do a lot of research to keep up as a, a drag race judge? None. Really? None at all. Uh, no, mm. I, no, I know nothing. And what what's great is the drag queens could not care less what I say or think. Uh, <laughs> they... <laughs> They are, they are just like, you know, children pressed to the sweet shop window if Rue or Michelle says something. Uh, but with me and Alan Carr, we're the, the you know, the rotating uh, judges on the, the UK version. Uh, we're just like bird song when we, we speak. <laughs> they're just, you know, they're thinking about their heels. My wig's a bit hot. Uh, and then we stop speaking and then they, they focus again. Uh, but it's interesting. I, I've seen Rue and Michelle change uh, over time because, you know, now we get drag queens who don't pad. We get drag queens who don't use breastplates. We get bearded drag queens. You know, all this stuff that wasn't kind of part of 
Rue's world and Michelle's world. And and they've really embraced it. And I think it's I think it's interesting that they've done that. Um, and it's great for the show as well, because the show would become irrelevant. If the show wasn't kind of representing the drag that's in the clubs and the drag, particularly in, in, in Britain, I think, uh, there's a big drag scene in the in the east of London, and it's proper old school club kids. You know, it sort of goes back to Kinky Glinky and those nightclub nights in the in the eighties, and it's kind of kids doing that again, and the Lee Bowery thing, and all of that stuff. And I think it's great that Drag Race is representing that sort of drag. Otherwise, it would just be I don't know what it would be. It would it would be irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yes, the idea of culture coming back circularly and how that's affecting drag and how, you know, you're just sort of there for the ride. Um, you, you know, you've mentioned interviewing like Lauren Bacall back in the day, and now you have, you know, what Taylor Swift, et cetera, people on your show. What would you say has changed the most about celebrity, I guess, since then, especially in how you interact with them on a talk show or is it, do, does it still feel the same? Um, I mean, in lots of ways, it feels the same because there's an audience and really all we're trying Mm -hmm. to do is uh, tell some funny or interesting stories and please a crowd. That's all we want to do. Um, So I'm not, you know, I'm not 60 minutes. I'm not one of the, you know, I'm not out to get the scoop. I'm just, it is literally (laughs) a chat. We're chatting. We're chatting. There's a drink on the coffee table. And I want you to tell that funny story about the time, you know, your rabbit ran away or whatever. So I feel on one level that hasn't changed. I think one of the things that has happened is stars now are slightly more cautious about Mm. what they say or what story they're going to tell. Because, of course, things don't stay on TV. Things then get reported. Um, so Or quotes will be pulled and they're not in context. So I will ask a question and what they say flows absolutely naturally from that question. But then if you take what they say and Mm. put in front of it, Taylor Swift slams Swifties or something, or, you know, Taylor Swift lashes out at da-da-da-da. That's exhausting for for everybody. But it means Mm -hmm. that you're kind of thinking, oh... You know, should I say that or what? I think people second guess themselves a bit more now because of all the the secondary reporting that goes on. That's so interesting because I feel like in the earlier days of talk shows, was it not so much of a someone says something on a late night show unless it's like truly incendiary. People aren't really talking about it in the news the next day. And also people were watching. That's the thing. You know, I'm very aware, particularly in this country, you know, if anybody has seen my show, mm-hmm. they've seen YouTube clips, you know, so everything's out of context. Mm-hmm. They, you know, a YouTube clip starts and we're all laughing and da da da. It's like, what, what, what the fuck is going on there? Why are they all having such a good, why are they all having such a good time? Um, and, and sometimes it's good frustrating because we, you know, we make a 45 minute show, but it is consumed globally in these kind of little three, four minute <laughs> segments. Uh, and, you know, and listen, we're not complaining. It's great that people do get to see it um, around the world. But back in the UK, there's there's 45 <laughs> coal mining moments. And there's a hard work at the whole face of chat. Uh, yeah. Is there a huge star, a movie star, a TV star, something, whom if they wanted to, you think would be a great talk show host? But of course, they will never do it because they're too busy, you know. 
Well, funny enough, the person I used to always say uh, was Kelly Clarkson, and uh, now she's got mm, one. Lo and behold, yeah. yes. Uh, uh-huh. I think I think she's so great. She's really uh, chatty and good. Um, I mean, lots of them would be good at it. You know, I think, but particularly comedians. I think comedians kind of uh, fit into it well because they're used to kind of, you know, crowd work and all that sort of, you know, talking to people. Um, who else would be good at it? Uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of the kind of the the more kind of you know, and Emily Blunt could do it. I think mm-hmm. standing on her head or mm-hmm. uh, who else? I mean, a bunch of them. Uh, you know, and also it's not like I'm saying it as like the ability to defuse a bomb. It's not rocket science. <laughs> you, are, you, you are you are sitting on a chair talking. It's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, who you could know. do it? Who could possibly do it? I. I <laughs> Emily Blunt at least comes with a built-in pun for like the name of her show. Right. So, yeah. You know, yeah. the last what name a blunt. Works. Blunt conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Stupid blunt. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I, I want to shift gears a bit and ask this question, you know, as young gays to an older gay, um, <laughs> to an el- to, to one of our mentor gays. There we I go. Thought, Let me Whatever. use that word instead. Like I'm Mariah Carey. Um <laughs> I like you mentioned earlier, you know, that like your husband might come in and interrupt like the sound or something. And I remember reading like, you know, pre-COVID, like an old interview with you where you were talking about, you know, like dating as a public figure, especially a gay public figure, and how you sort of didn't see that as an easy thing for people to do if you were gay versus like a man dating a woman. And you didn't see that in the cards for you. So how do you feel now since you've been married for a year and that sort of is much different from how you felt in 2015? I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, when it happens, it happens. So Mm -hmm. I have spent I have spent far more of my life single than I have in in relationships. Um, And I suppose it's every lots of decisions and lots of things become easier as you get older. You know, and I, I say this joke about, you know, when you're getting married, the vows as you get older are much easier. You know, uh, till death do us part seems kind of achievable when you're my age. Whereas uh, <laughs> if, if if you're in your 20s, that's a big ask. <laughs> to go, really? That? That for the rest of my life? So, uh, so I think uh, things like that make it easier. And also, you know, it just, it felt right. It felt easy. It didn't see, I didn't. There weren't like, I think if you've got to have long nights of the soul kind of thinking, should I do this? Should I do this? Chances are you shouldn't. (laughs) If it's a nice, easy decision where you go, yeah, let's do that. uh, Then you're probably going to do okay. Um, and I, I have to ask about the fact that you're going to be the host of uh, Wheel of Fortune coming back in the UK. I'm, I know. How nuts is that? I'm an obsessive game show fan. I actually think Pat Sajak is one of the more underrated hosts we have, period, over here. He does a really great job in the show, and he'll be leaving it soon. When I think about Wheel of Fortune, I think about you have to sympathize a lot with contestants who are doing poorly, sometimes for no reason. Like, just like the wheel keeps landing on bankrupt, and it's like, I have to tell yeah. you that your life sucks right now. Like, that's just how yeah. it is, and there's that's you know there's nothing you can do about it. Are, yeah. What do you think is the hardest part of that job, or what will be the hardest part of that job? Oh, I don't know yet. I mean, one of the reasons I said yes to it was because in the past, I've done kind of game show pilots uh, with new formats. And that is awful. That is where you're in the middle of a game and you realize, oh, 
oh, this is why this won't work. (laughs) (laughs) There was was one game show. It was massive. This huge studio, all this stuff. stuff. And in the the auto script, at the end of each round, I would check the, the scores and I would go, okay, let's check in with the scores. No one scored anything no one i mean nothing so i keep going at the end of a round well let's check in with the scoreboard it's like yeah graham we know what's up there nothing so at least with this at least with this i know that it's a tried and tested format so it's just when we we tape them um in the winter so uh, you know if i talk to you again i'll i'll know more it's about i don't know how i'll fit into that world, but I like that I'll be making a show with people who absolutely know how to make that show and know that, you know, the format works. It, it, you know, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with the wheel. Let's not fix it. Yeah, so, there, there's uh, only yeah. 26 letters. They can't really mess this up from a <laughs> contested perspective, you know. They can't be asking for Omega or whatever, and then it's not a puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you've also hosted, you know, some interesting game formats over time, too. I mean, I was just looking up, uh, like, the show Carnal Knowledge, which I feel like, you know, British wow. shows, British shows, I feel like, have a bit more of, they have more shows about sex or game shows sort of about sex than Americans have really had. We've had The Dating Game, and we had Singled Out on MTV, but is that sort of a format that you feel is inherently British or do you feel like that's a format even that you could redo now? No, uh, we <laughs> couldn't do it then. Is the truth? Uh, we, it, it was a kind of a filthy, a filthy Mr. and Mrs. Uh, show that showed in the middle of the night. It was when uh, uh, one of our networks was experimenting with through the night viewing, and mm-hmm. so there were, and you know, they realized that if you wanted to keep people uh, awake, uh, filth was a very good way to choose. So there were lots of kind of raunchy shows. They would show these raunchy shows during the night, and that was one of them. But that was my first ever TV gig was being the co-host uh, on Carl Knowledge with my friend Maria and uh, it was like television should not be that much work it was <laughs> like you would go home at the end of the night with like a splitting headache as if you'd been doing something important all day rather than em- encouraging a young person to draw doggy style in stick figures <laughs> <laughs> to, in the end, in the end, we got so bored of doggy style. We, we had to kind of go. No, a different favorite sexual position. You know, we're, we're not having it. I know it's easy to draw, but no. <laughs> I'll be honest. I think we need that show. I, I have to come back. <laughs> it feels the kids urgent are confused to me. over here. Yeah, people right. are confused <laughs> over here about sex right now. I think we need to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, thank you so much for being here. My God, you were as electrifying as we expected. And also, just when it when you have legendary stars on, and we are concerned about people being interviewed well here, um, you know, we we just love that format. You are the primo person for it. When, I, when there's a new awesome clip with you, I'm so excited to see it. You are so amazing at what you do. That's yeah. so kind of you. And I heard I heard the uh, podcast you did about Eurovision. So thank you very much for all your kind words and for uh, sticking with the many, many, many hours of Eurovision. So <laughs> thank you. I, I, I've been a Eurovision fan for years and I do love it. And I really love the whole afternoon that you just spend watching this entire thing. And I, I mean, hats off to you for having to do that American Idol style 
And we'll be right back with the votes for this country. Oh, and then talking to every country, too. It's, it's really an undertaking, but it's fun. I, I, I had a ball. And the great thing is I'll never have to do it again. So uh, <laughs> no, any contest that Katrina and the Waves can win, I will be watching. That's what you have to know about Eurovision. <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure, boys. Thank you very much yeah. indeed. Yes. Come Thank back you. anytime. Thank you. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Betty's.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S.com. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. Olivia Rodrigo is back with her sophomore album, and the critics and fans seem to be loving it. But as you all know, their opinions don't matter. Ours do. We're here to voice those. So are we saying good for you, or do we think it's a bad idea right? Ira, you're up first. Talk about the teen girls to me. The woman is 20 years old. She's 20 years old. Oh, so too young for Chris Evans to marry her, but not (laughs) that young. What was the internet freaking out about? The woman's like 26. A 26-year-old child, Lewis. Oh. <laughs> that does exist, though. She had a wedding and then homeroom right after. <laughs> Shame on you, Chris Evans. <laughs> no, anyway, Olivia Rodrigo, pardon me. I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go and put on my stand hat. Uh, <laughs> First of all, I will never pardon you. Do that again. <laughs> Second of all, what does a what does a stand hat look like? Is it a tricorn? <laughs> You look like Peter Pan over there? It looks like it's it's Robin Hood's cat. There's a feather in it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like this girl. I love her. I really do. And I am loving her even more because people are up in arms. The youths, really. Uh, Gen Z. Maybe some younger millennials, too, who are deranged. But... There's been comparisons to 
Avril Lavigne, etc. online this week. And I need to remind people that Avril Lavigne was also dragged and called, quote-unquote, a poser back when we went to school. You remember when people would just lobby poser at people? Oh, yeah. White people would do this, obviously. The cool kids be like, fucking poser. Uh, let me just say, I remember those days very vividly. And I think no one denied that Avril Lavigne had the hooks. Because obviously, those mm-hmm. are she had like all these huge radio hits in a row. That yeah. that, that album, Let Go, was a, a hit from the jump. It took no time at all. Yeah. I do think she, in interviews, did herself some disservices regarding phrases like punk, which, by the way, mm-hmm. the idea that anybody from my generation cared seriously about punk is bizarre. So I don't know what standard we were holding her to. But they didn't even care about Punky Brewster. That's no Soleil Moonfry, please. That's barely millennial. <laughs> but I will say this album, the Olivia Rodrigo album, I think is a better version of her last album, which I still liked. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, lots of fun songs, funny lyrics, emotional lyrics. It, there's like there is a slight baby boys component, but she also has like a mm-hmm. ghost component, which I think makes mm. it um, more fun. Like the emotional songs, you it's almost like a spooky rave is is the image mm-hmm. that's conjuring for me, but. I do like also, and I think this is part of why people are maybe calling her calculated, which is, by the way, a word that is lobbied almost exclusively at female pop stars. Um, Going Mm -hmm. back to Barbara Streisand when she traded Broadway for rock music. Um, I do like that it really sounds like the Mean Girls soundtrack. This, to me, sounds like a companion piece to Lilics, which is, I think, a Mm. pretty good (laughs) little moment in time. Yeah. You know, I I get the comparisons with, people who've come before her. But for me, she just feels like a good student of music. This yeah. is the shit she grew up with. What else is she going to sound like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And but- I really do appreciate just her vibe, I think. I feel like it's, I feel like she's having fun. I feel like she's not so self-serious. And maybe there's the calculation going on there. But if you're a pop star, everything is calculated. No one is... No one is making it to pop star level to being as big as Olivia Rodrigo is right now without, you know, some planning. Right. No, I mean, like, I, th- I think the number one person in pop history who is called calculated is Madonna. The moving from style to style, album to album. People think that that has an artificial quality to it. When the fact is, it's just remaining fresh. It's just basic business instincts in some ways. And I think you can be good at being calculated. You know, that's what makes... Mm-hmm pop music fun like what if i tried this out and i inserted this part of my persona you know it's just like i don't know it's like pop is a perpetual costume party you can dress up differently for it every day whip on new Mm. styles and that's the fun of it imagine hating being calculated anyway because let me tell you something about millennials we cannot count (laughs) right I, i need to know six plus four and i'm going to the calculator on my iphone we could all be more calculated in my trivia league, you can see all your stats for what categories you're best at. And like, you look at mine and you're like, well, look at this faggot. It's like theater number one, film, number whatever. I used to be a really good math student. Math is what I am worst at now. I don't know how this happened to me. Getting into the album, I feel like what I really love is the, the lyrics are funny. I think she's really fucking funny. We talked about Bad Idea already because that was a single, but Get Him Back, like my favorite on the album. Yes, mine too. It is so funny because I feel like it makes you think initially like, oh, you you want to get him back because you miss him. And it unfolds that way. But then it's, no, I want to get him back so I can get revenge on his ass. Yeah, right, right. It's pure 
pettiness and yeah. embracing it. Yes. The line where she says describes him as 6'2 and says, yeah, right. <laughs> There's just a fun, snarky quality to her, which is sort of refreshing in this post-euphoria-ish era where I feel like we were getting stuff that felt like it was pushed for teenagers, but it was try hard stuff for teenagers in that it's very here's drugs here's sex here's them being all you know um euphoria high yeah yeah here's them being despondent etc you know it is the opposite of that and it feels youthful it feels like it actually is saying something about what younger people are actually thinking in america and it's not old people writing for teens right 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 i also enjoyed People forget this. At the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction for Carly Simon, they had Olivia Rodrigo sing You're So Vain. Now, in a way, it feels like some man took two seconds to be like, who's another person who sings disparagingly about men and thought about, oh, there's that song Driver's License that came out yesterday. Let's just whip that girl in here. Mm -hmm. She is a really good singer. I did not, I don't know what I expected going into that performance and not that, you know, You're So Vain is some wild vocal showcase or anything, but it was a really credible, cool, fun performance. She really is in line with several generations of songwriters and um, the subject matter they're interested in. So, uh, and again, she's so fucking young. So I feel like this is just some starting block shit too. I'm really excited to see where she'll go. Plus, You're So Vain is sort of akin to her song Vampire, which some people think is about Taylor Swift. Some people think it's about someone else. I feel like that's a song in her catalog that people are going to be debating, who is this about forever? Yeah. Like People are always doing with Carly Simon's song. But I love that she said in this Rolling Stone interview that I don't say who my songs are about, and I'm never going to. Ding. Yes. Period. Also, it's like, that's what being a stan is all about. Let's debate this forever. And then they stay on the other side of the fence and don't acknowledge that, you know, in the way right. that, you know, uh, what people think of me is none of my business. What's what my stands are discussing is none of my business. Right. And I think that we also need to get to a point where we stop asking her about other people in interviews. This album, though, has sent me into a trek back to when we were teenagers going into college, that particular era of not just Avril Lavigne, but you know, Fifi Dobson, there was uh, mm. Ashley Simpson. There was this very pop, very popular pop punk style punctuated by Lady Angst. And we mm. got a lot of good stuff. And I think the best of it for me was the Veronica's when they, oh. the, the singles in that album. I did, I did not know at the time, that's a Max Martin album. So like mm. the, the, the reason the pop hooks are so tight on that, uh, on their first album, which I think is just called the Veronica's and their follow-up album, which is called Hook Me Up. Those songs are so fucking good. Forever, Everything I'm Not, um, When It All Falls Apart, and then on the second album, Untouched. Spotless music. And let me tell you something. They're still untouched, okay? Because the girls <laughs> aren't touching them. The Veronicas? <laughs> the Veronicas are it. <laughs> I love I love that era. I like the Donnas. I, I feel the like Donnas, I the exactly. Da- I wish yes. the Donnas had had more post that first album, but Take It Off is a beggar. Rowdy. Like, like an undisputable banger. And I saw like on Instagram that you, when you were listening to like the, the second Avril Lavigne album is so, I feel like underrated now in retrospect, but that has so many fucking good songs. The way it just, start, like my happy ending is on it. And that's what I feel like everyone talks about. And, and don't tell me, take me away. Nobody's home forgotten. These are songs. Yeah, totally. 
I used to listen to that album constantly. I feel like there should be a German word for something that used to be on the radio all the time, and then for whatever reason, you don't hear it again. The, like, the, mm-hmm. I personally feel this is something happening with the song Havana, which we ah! heard for a year and a half, and now you never hear it anymore. And I feel like it's maybe the, I don't know about best song of the past six years, but certainly like a hook you will never forget, you know? So like, why don't I you. hear that song again and again? Sean Mendez is best vocals. His best song, to <laughs> yeah, be honest. Right. And that ooh na na, you're going to make me listen to that fucking song the rest of the day now. It's That's in how my I head. feel. Yeah, it, right. Literally just saying the word puts that song in your head. But um, I was going to say, I went through Avril's catalog and I couldn't believe how many songs I had forgotten about. If you had asked me off the top of my head how many hits she had, I would have said four, you know, mm-hmm. like ending in maybe girlfriend or something. How about the song Hot? How about the song uh, What mm-hmm. the Hell? Just yeah. uh, nobody's home. I had completely forgotten about it at the time. Mm. I literally think I lumped it in my head with "Behind mm. These Hazel Eyes." It's a sort of similar song, but "Behind These Hazel Eyes" yeah. for some reason I'm likelier to hear all the time. Also, Dan Levy, our friend, friend of the podcast, alerted me that he is in the video for "Behind These Hazel Eyes." Ah, how weird is that? that? Yeah, that is. Um, speaking of what the hell, that is. I remember that song specifically because when that song came out. I feel like every gay person was saying to their friends, all my life I've been good. But now I'm thinking, what the hell? What a lyric. Yes. (laughs) By the way, another song that I think is secretly very gay-centric that didn't get enough play at the time, Boyfriend by Ashley Simpson. I think that Mm. is secretly the best song of her career. In fact, I like that second album, which is unfortunately entitled I Am Me, which is something you as a freshman in high school... (laughs) Call your poetry project. <laughs> I love Miss Ashley Simpson. I wrote a whole essay on Ashley Simpson in my book. Uh, I am a big Ashley Simpson stand going back to autobiography. I mean, that was my Olivia Rodrigo when I was in mm-hmm. high school. That that album just came out roaring. And then I am me with In Another Life, L-O-V-E, coming back L-O-V-E. for more. These are, these, these, those are like, L-O-V-E, that is another song that dominated TRL, the radio. And let's, let us not forget the Missy Elliott remix. Also, any song that begins with, all my girls, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of them. I'm one of the girls. You're talking to me. <laughs> That's actually how they start Hysteria every week. <laughs> right. <laughs> Aaron Gloria Ryan going, all my girls, yeah. stand in a circle. And just putting our, putting our arms around no one in the studio. <laughs> Which is very it's it's so funny thinking about the Ashley Simpson mishap on SNL, the lip syncing thing, because if she'd have just lips if she'd have just been straight like I'm lip syncing and dancing, then no one would have cared, right? Because right. there was a, a there was a clip going around of Madonna doing Vogue at the VMAs, uh, when she dresses Marie Antoinette, and someone's yeah. like, What's iconic about this is there is not a single mic. On stage. Uh, not even and, close. No. That is and the she, record you're hearing. Yeah. <laughs> and she gave an interview where she said, this is about the fantasy. I am performing. I'm, I've never purported. I, I mean, I've never said that I was doing this to be, you know, a singer. I never said that I was doing live music. And she said, I feel like the only people who complain about it are live performers who can't get booked anymore. <laughs> <laughs> God, she used to be such an asshole. I love it. That was so funny. So funny. Also, can I say about the Ashley Simpson thing, the SNL mishap? 
So mm-hmm. what happened was they ended up playing the tape again for Piece of Me, or Pieces of Me, which yeah. she already performed. Wait, sorry, mm-hmm. Pieces of Me. I was going to say singular. Yeah. It's Pieces of Me. She was supposed to do the second single. If she had just lip synced it again, that would have been totally iconic. Like, we're just yeah. doing the one song today. Yeah. Maybe this one will be even better. <laughs> also, by the way, a clip, uh, I, I am bringing up my friend Andy again. He posted a clip of Anna Ferris in the movie Lost in Translation, where she gives a very funny mm. performance that I feel like goes um, underrated. How did we not put Anna Ferris on SNL at some point? And how was she not the person who played Ashley Simpson the week after that? That would have been so perfect. Anna Ferris is one of the greatest comedians of our time, which is so funny that she talks about in interviews how she didn't think she was funny at all when she was cast in Scary Movie. So they had to coax that out of her on set. That reminds me of when we had Rachel Weisz on this show, and I was like, some of the funniest line readings ever in the movie The Favorite. And she goes, I just, I I didn't play it like it was funny. I almost didn't even know it was funny. And it's like, what? That, but you did. Stop. How is this happening? How, how did you stumble into funny? Madeline Kahn, sort of similar. She would enter mm. a room or a scene and people would start laughing immediately and she wouldn't understand why. It's her saunter. It's her sachet. Yes, right. It's the look in her eye. There's like there's a tremor there that people recognize. Yeah. But I mean, to tie it back to Olivia, the oh, yes. Ashley Simpson of it all was because she was going for this whole, I'm authentic, I'm a rocker, I'm different from Jessica Simpson thing, you know? And what's great about Olivia is she plays her fucking instruments. She is a writer. And it, it's not just an authenticity thing. It is It helps her write songs, you know? I remember Prince told Beyonce that once. And right. he, was uh-huh. like, he was like, just learn to play the piano and it will open up your world as a musician. And she did. And then Prince was like, do you know what else opens up my world? I play every goddamn instrument in sight. And then he brought out like a fucking sousaphone and played it for her. <laughs> and she was like, you know what? I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> you know what he said his favorite song at the time? And obviously he passed, so he hasn't gotten to hear any of her other music. But he fucking loved Speechless. Off really? Of Dangerously in Love. Yeah. I literally prefer other songs called Speechless to that song. (laughs) When she performed that during that tour, she was giving it her all, though. That's a sexy-ass performance of Speechless. I will put that out there. But yeah, that is... He loved that. And also, there's a performance of The Revolution doing uh, Sugar Mama from B-Day. That is pretty fucking rad. Woof. Yeah. That's a jam. That's a song. That's that. That's a rock album, to be honest. Yeah. I think Funny is the key component that makes this album rise above others of its ilk. And the pop hooks are extremely strong. I hope we get a whole throwback moment. I hope we get a band that sounds like the Donnas next. Yeah. It would be nice to see girl bands come back. You know, let's get, let's get a Donnas. Let's get um, the Veronicas again. I'm just happy for this era of this music being the circular part of time that's coming back because this was my high school music. I love this shit. Right. No, I I think also a reason that music wasn't that respected at the time was aside from rap in the 2000s, I think most musical genres felt like weaker versions of things that had preceded it. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like this era of women in pop and rock came well after, you know, the worlds of like um, Hole or um, Alanis Morissette or, you know, all those people. And, you know, at the time you might think, oh, well, this is like, it's, it's gone so mainstream, it doesn't mean as much anymore. But now we can just look back at the music and not acknowledge it only be, for its place in pop culture. Now it's just, was the music good? 
And I think that now that we understand that a pop hook is great and you have artists like, you know, a Charlie XEX who tries yeah. on pop as a performance Rina. piece, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, there's now a bigger appreciation for a lot of the pop music of when we were younger, like even like a Britney song, a Christina song, an NSYNC song, the ones that were really well-crafted and you hear them again now and you're like, wait, that's a really fucking banger song, you know? And I think pop could take something from that and really just learn to craft music that sonically sounds great, is funny, and has a great hook. Bring back hooks. I saw a clip the other day of NSYNC performing in late 1996 when I think their first single had come out. Is there, I Want You Back? I think that's the song yeah. in question. And first of all, I didn't realize that that song had come out that early. Um, mm-hmm. Justin, they are dressed, it's like on a German TV show because the single came out in Germany first. They are dressed he, in- Lou Pearlman pushed Backstreet and NSYNC in Europe way before they came to dominate the U.S. Yeah, and in this video, they are wearing outfits that I'm going to call, imagine a child in the Tour de France. That's how tight these outfits are. (laughs) And I didn't realize, like, Justin was performing this shit at 15. Like, he was a Mm -hmm. child entertainer. You know, I mean, like, we know he was in the Mickey Mouse Club and stuff, but I didn't realize he was up in the NSYNC stuff so young. Wow. Yeah. Those songs have aged pretty well, to be honest. Listen to NSYNC's back catalog. Those songs have aged well. And listen to B-Sides on that album, on those first three NSYNC albums. They are really great. Well, some of that music was like state of the state of the art at the time, too. Like you think of like um, Dirty Pop or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that when that came out, I was like, here it is, like pop music of the moment. Um, mm-hmm. And it still feels like forward viewing in certain ways. Yeah. Anyway, when we're back, our favorite segment, Keep It. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis? Yes? What's, what's popping? Keep it angrily, adamantly, to Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. I we, we had never done much catch-up on how much of a stranglehold Rotten Tomatoes has on people. How people, mm-hmm. when they're looking to see if a movie is well-received, they don't read reviews. They don't look past the tomato. They see a number mm-hmm. and... It stops there, and we assume that there is some credibility to it. There's a reason it's that number, and we believe in it. Once upon a time, Meryl Streep gave an interview where she said, I looked into Rotten Tomatoes, and I thought to myself, I wonder how many women have reviews on this site. And she said, if it were half women, that would make sense. If it were a quarter women, I wouldn't be surprised. It ended up being something like a seventh of the reviewers on the site at the time were women. Mm. And she goes, not only is that awful, but that sways box office. So like men are Mm -hmm. basically dictating what is good and what is not good. Interesting point from Meryl. We love her. She seems like one of the smart ones. Well, there's a new article this week in Vulture talking about, uh, it's called The Decomposition of Rotten Tomatoes. The subhead says, the most overrated metric in movies is erratic, reductive, and easily hacked and yet has Hollywood in its grip. Goes into a story about how this movie Ophelia, which is a feminist retelling of Hamlet starring Daisy Ridley, suddenly had a whole bunch of positive reviews sprinkled in, even though they were dubious reviews. And that moved the tomato meter to make it a fresh movie as opposed to a rotten movie. And then because Mm. of that, it got picked up and got different distribution. Anyway, This is such a completely hackable format. I don't think Rotten Tomatoes tells us anything about movies, at least with Metacritic, a a site I love. 
You get people who are reading these reviews, telling you specifically how good the review is, putting them all in a row, and then you can decide for yourself what the most credible review in the lineup is. With Rotten Tomatoes, I'm looking at half of these author, authors and uh, uh, periodicals, whatever, and I have no idea what they are. Um, it's just a site that has gotten away with putting itself in the center of pop culture, in the center of the cinematic universe for too long, and we just haven't questioned it. Everyone's just like allowed it to happen. And now we're hearing that studios or uh, uh, movie companies, whatever, are basically paying uh, reviewers to give certain reviews so that it lands higher on the tomato meter, and it's sick. It sucks. It totally sucks. I mean, that's not surprising at all, considering right. the whole confluence of... It, the influencers who have been reporting on movies on TikTok or Instagram, for instance, there was a, another article about that recently in the New York Times. It kept calling them critics, which they're not critics. They're just influencers being paid by a studio to talk yeah. about a film. And that is, listen, it has its place, but that is not reviews. That's not criticism. You know, if you want to talk about Rotten Tomatoes, you know, let's. Let's take that back to the theater where a tomato used to mean something. Oh, if yeah. If you brought a tomato into the theater and yes. you hurled it at Ira Aldridge because you did not like, you know, his rendition of Otello, you were probably racist because he was the first Otello played <laughs> by a black man, but it meant that you actually had to bring that tomato from your garden and hurl it at a performer. That's right. You know? Now you no. can just with a click, you're you're hurling tomatoes and you're hurling fresh tomatoes too. Horticulturalists used to run this town, and you okay. could just knock over Sarah Bernhardt. You said, "I don't okay. care if she has like a lame leg or whatever." Today she's falling down. Now it's online, and it's just there's greens, greens, nothing but greens, cabbages, asparagus, <laughs> a watercress. <laughs> Too much watercress is where I wanted to get with this conversation. I'm glad we got there. Uh, speaking of greens. Yes. My keep it is about a very healthy new drink that's about to hit the market. What the fuck is this? Who are you, Flo Rida, with your uh, in on the, uh, on, the, on the du jour drinks? <laughs> so Ice Spice has a new collaboration with... Dunkin' Donuts called me Munchkin's drink because of her song, Munch. Yeah. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Barely works. All right. Let me tell you something about what is in this. And so it gets blended, of course. Okay. But the recipe includes a caramel drizzle on top, whipped cream, a caramel drizzle inside the cup, Pumpkin munchkins, the donut holes that they sell there. Help me God. Coffee syrup, cream, liquid cane sugar, water, a heaping cup of ice. Where is the coffee? Where is the drink? Yeah, until we get to water, I'm like, how am I gulping this? America's running on Duncan, but now it looks like America is running on diabetes. And I need to know, (laughs) did did Ronald Reagan make this drink? (laughs) That is really bad. Also, uh, th- there's a hot dog chain in Chicago called Portillo's. There's a couple of branches out here, actually. Mm. And they have a very famous cake shake. Now, mm. I-, I don't know what goes into that. I mean, like a full slice of cake. It's a particular type of drink. But this Munchkins, that's not drink. 
I mean, I'm like pointing at the munchkins. That's just it, it's it's kicky material. I, I, I don't know. How, I don't know how that works. Pointing at the munchkins like Judy Garland. Get them away from me. (laughs) (laughs) These munchkins sound evil as well because I can't imagine drinking this. Should I drink it and report on it? I probably will. But also, it's pumpkin munchkins. Come on. Yeah, the the pumpkin thing is annoying me. Like, what if you want it without the the pumpkin? pumpkin? Yeah, right. Also, they need to diversify the Munchkin flavors, I think. There's still only like four mm. of them, right? Yeah. Are you a Dunkin' girl? Occasionally, if I'm at the airport, for example. You know you know when Dunkin' used to be the biggest part of my life? It was Loyola Chicago because there was they at there was a Dunkin' Donuts underneath the Loyola Red Stop line, which was directly across the street from campus. So whatever you would get home drunk, you would be there'd be a line of kids at Dunkin' Donuts. You know what I like about Dunkin' Donuts? So the display behind the person taking your order is just a you know a, a high and low shelf of donuts, and it to me it feels like get ready in old Wheel of Fortune where when you would w- have your money at the end of the round, you would have to then shop for items on the stage, and so they mm. would just like pan past this glamorous panorama of you know the car, whatever. I mean, it, and then it went down to really cheap items like Dalmatian statuary or you know, a pendant or something that you had to spend $20 on and you had to spend all your money. So you you would eventually waste your money on these small items. Anyway, I like when I'm at Dunkin' Donuts and I'm like, I'll take, um, you know, one strawberry, strawberry sprinkle. I'll take, you know, it's just, it's fun. It's like, it's like Belle going through the books in Beauty and the Beast. We're going high and low. They're getting on the ladder. It's a lot of fun. Do you think we're going to see Ben Affleck drinking the munchkin drink? Ooh, we haven't seen him in a minute. So if he reemerges with that, it would be brilliant. I would love a Ben Affleck Ice Spice collabo. Uh, yes. I would like to see them walking down a street um, despondently together. He needs to get back into that. He and Anna, they would look pissed together, but hydrated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could get a J-Lo Ice Spice song and then have Ben in the video. You know she's made that call. Please. If anybody's doing a collab, it's Jennifer Lopez. And by the way, should we do a secondary preemptive um, keep it to... Her tribute, apparently, to Tina Turner at last night's uh, uh, Video Music Awards. Now, we didn't get to see it yet. We're filming this on Tuesday. But I'm just saying, Private Dancer, that was not Tina Turner's primary skill set. And that might be J-Lo's, and I feel like I'm sensing a conflict here. Mm, Yes, Tina was not much of a hustler, you know? (laughs) Uh, Now, listen, she did hold audiences in her grip like an anaconda. Okay. I, I think, you know, we're going to watch J-Lo doing that. And we're going to say, okay, enough. We're going to say, can you make a U-turn out of the stadium? <laughs> These are bottom-of-the-barrel puns we're doing at this, <laughs> at this juncture. We need to end this episode. So thank you to Graham Norton for joining us this week. And we will see you next week. Hopefully next week there'll be some restraining order against Club Chalamet mm-hmm. and not us reporting on a funeral yeah i i'm I, whenever we run into real journalism things are not right to keep it that can't be the case yeah. okay see you next week keep it is a crooked media production our senior producer is kendra james our producer is chris lord and our associate producer is malcolm whitfield 
Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.